You're listening to the World of Higher Education podcast, season one, episode 11. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Usher, and this is the World of Higher Education podcast. Today, we're talking all things Irish higher education. And joining us as our expert guide to the terrain is Ellen Hazelcorn, Principal at BH Associates, a higher education consultancy in Dublin, Professor Emerita at the Technological University of Dublin, and one of the sharpest all-around minds in European higher education. Ireland, like many small countries, has to punch way above its weight to get noticed. At just over 5 million inhabitants, it's in a category with Slovakia, Norway, and New Zealand, or in North American terms, South Carolina, Alabama, or British Columbia. In higher education, where scale matters a lot, small size puts a crimp in what you can do. You need to make choices and be explicit and hard-headed about them. But Ireland had an advantage, which helped it at least partially overcome this challenge. Although today it's well known for its tech miracle, it wasn't that long ago that the country was one of Europe's economic and social laggards. This was also true with respect to higher education. It trailed most of Europe by 10 to 15 years in massifying the higher education system. And as Ellen notes in our talk, the country's universities only really gained a research mission at the turn of the millennium. But falling behind meant the higher education sector could learn from other countries' successes and mistakes. In some ways, it makes higher education policymaking in Ireland a much more evidence-informed affair than it is in places like Canada, the UK, or the United States. This year in particular, the pace of policymaking there has really sped up. In the past 12 months, Simon Harris, the country's energizer bunny of a minister for further and higher education, research, innovation, and science, try saying that three times quickly, has not only piloted a new Higher Education Act through the Irish Parliament, but also announced and sent out for consultation a new unified tertiary education system policy designed to overcome the country's traditional binary split between what we in North America would call the university and community college divide. Do pay attention to how Ellen describes this policy in the interview. To the extent that it has a center, it's mostly about pathways and transitions from further to higher education. But there are two ulterior drivers. First, to increase post-secondary learning out beyond the traditional 18 to 21 age group. And second, to increase the prestige of the non-university post-secondary sector. Since the latter is very much an issue in many parts of the world, I'm sure this is a policy initiative that many people outside Ireland will want to follow closely. But enough for me. Let's let Ellen do the explaining. Have a listen. Ellen, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks very much, Alex, for asking me. So let's start out by explaining the Irish higher education system to everybody. To my eye, Leo, for a country that's relatively small, it's a pretty heavily differentiated system. You've got universities and institutes of technology and technological universities constituent colleges, college of education. Can you explain a little bit how Irish higher education is structured to an international audience? What are the key pieces? What are the quirky peculiarities that people need to know? Okay, so yeah, it's been a bit all over the place, but it's much more focused coming into play. So we have the traditional universities, if you want to put it that way, of which there are seven of them. And then we've had the Institutes of Technology, which developed starting in the 1970s as regional technical colleges. And under legislation that came through about 2018, we now have technological universities where these Institutes of Technology could merge. And only on the basis of merging, they could be assessed and redesignated. So it was a whole process. 
We've reduced the 14 institutes now down to five TUs and two institutes still there. So it's kind of Ireland's version of the California system, but the TUs offer all qualifications from sub-degree up to doctoral level. So they started off as regional development kind of drivers. They would be the equivalent of the California State Universities. Well, the universities, the Trinity College, that would be the equivalent of Berkeley and the UCs. Arguably. Now, I wouldn't, no one uses that. And it's not a term that's a comparison that's ever used, but it's perhaps a handy way to look at it. And then we have the further education colleges, which are themselves in the process of that whole sector being developed because it emerged out of the local government and so on. And so the FET, Further Education and Training, are a bit like the community colleges. That's really the VET, TVET sector, sub-degree only. One of the things that has distinguished Ireland internationally over the years, I guess, was its move to eliminate tuition fees at a time when other countries like Australia, New Zealand, the UK were introducing them. But then later, mandatory fees were reinstated, but not called tuition fees, right? So yeah, what have students yeah. actually paid to go to university in Ireland in recent years? And what's been the effect of this policy over the last, say, three decades? Is it a plus? Is it a minus? Well, it was introduced in the mid-90s by the Labour Party when it was in government with the idea of taking on where changes to secondary education were introduced in the 1960s and all. And that was about free education, expanding access, equity, and so on. So on that basic principle, it hasn't done anything to deal with equity, not really. So the tuition fees disappeared, but then obviously we have a hole in the bucket. So they started to be called a kind of a student contribution. Originally, it was about registration and it was small amounts of money. It's now up to about 3,000 euros. Last year, the minister announced that he was, for the sake of the issues of the living crisis and so on, a thousand euros were taken off it, and it's now coming back in, but there'll be some more income related. It's important to keep in mind that almost 50% of students don't pay any fees at all because of the fact that there are grants that come under the income limits and so on. It's largely been a transfer to the middle class, and the equity issue has not really changed. And the bigger problem is what will they do going forward? It's really hard to say. There's not enough money to make it, you know, free for all. Someone has to pay. But this is always an issue. We want to be a Nordic type society, but we don't want to pay Nordic type taxes. That's a classic dilemma. Apart from this sort of one-year thing, you know, it seems to me the last 12 months have been very, very almost hyperactive in higher education policy in Ireland. Last fall, the Oractus, that's Ireland's parliament, approved a new Higher Education Act. Uh, and from across the Atlantic, I can't say I understand the ins and outs of this. All I know is it seemed to cause a lot of heartache in the university sector due to a perceived reduction in institutional autonomy. What were the act's most consequential changes, and to what extent was it a power grab by the state? Well, the original act came in in 1971. It set up the Higher Education Authority, the intermediary body. So you find that in varying countries. And it largely was a policy guidance and funding organization. The new legislation basically covers a lot of the initiatives and actions that have been going on 
over the last 10 years. This is post what's called the National Strategy for Higher Education, which came out in 2011, which has really set the ground for a lot of these things. So that's a really important timeline is that review. And so since then, well, not just since then, but the HA has been taking on a lot of roles, one of which is compacts and funding arrangements and strategic dialogues and issues around that for which there's no legislation. And so that's a big part of what was happening. Interesting. Okay. Now, in addition to all this, your higher education minister, Simon Harris, not only did he put it through a new act, he's also started the process of creating a unified tertiary education system in Ireland. My understanding is the idea here is to create more bridges between what we in North America would call the community college and university sectors. And I know you've been working on this. This has been a project for your firm for the last little while. What's the story here? What are they really trying to achieve? Yeah, so I expect a lot of it is driven by issues of equity and access. Ireland isn't out on its own on this issue, but one of the, if you want to say challenges for the system, is that we have almost 70% of our student population, and we're really talking 18 to 22-year-olds. There's really no adult learners to a big extent. Our student population in higher education. We have the highest level of student attainment across Europe and almost third in the EU and the OECD. So we are way up there with the numbers of people in higher ed and going to university is really the only game in town. We have maybe about 20% in further education and about 13.5% needs. So some of the issues have to do with equity. So yes, a lot of pathways, which arguably does really reinforce this issue that a university qualification is the only way to go. And we see this trend everywhere where going to uni, as it's called, is really the big deal. And then we have this other issue of howling out of the middle, insufficient middle-level skills, a huge list of jobs or types of occupations at the critical skills list. I mean, huge. And it's a rapidly growing economy. Ireland is now one of the fastest growing economies and has been in Europe. So the unified system is all part of that and trying to work out not just pathways, but you're right, that's been the only or the main focus. But I'd say, what is further education and training? How do we make the system more horizontally diverse? and attractive rather than just hierarchical. Help me with the theory of change here. How does making a unified system of higher education make it possible for greater differentiation and diversification? Well, that's the trick because all we've got really is the issue of this is what we want to achieve of a unified tertiary system, which is basically seen as porous and people can come in and out of the education and research system anywhere. And yet most of the focus tends to be, when we talk about it, we're short on details. So I expect that's where myself and my colleague come in. What do we actually mean by this? Most of the attention has indeed been on pathways. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Higher Education Strategy Associates, 
a sector-specific consultancy based in Toronto, Canada. Among our many lines of work is program review and new program development. Looking to refresh some of your curricular options? Higher Education Strategy Associates can help with market research, evaluation of employer needs, competition analysis, and national and global reviews of curriculum trends by study field. Get in touch to find out how your institution can benefit. Email us at info at higheredstrategy.com. And we're back. Ireland was fairly late to the game compared to some of the larger European countries in terms of developing a significant research capacity at its universities. And like a lot of small countries, it seems to me it faces some pretty tough questions about what what its research effort is for, how much of this is basic research, how much of it is applied research, what should it be expected to accomplish. How has Ireland's strategy on research changed over the years and where's it heading now? Yeah, so it's very late to the game. I mean, arguably, there was no such thing as Irish research before the millennium. Indeed, the Science Foundation Ireland was only set up in 2000. It funds big-scale projects and it funds research centers. We then have the Irish Research Council. It's effectively Ireland's ERC, European Research Council. It funds individuals. These two are now about to merge new legislation coming through, so more changes in the landscape, more, arguably, you could say coherence, but more in the landscape. And not enough funding, so that's always been an issue, but increasingly a big push on, I don't like divisions between basic and applied, but certainly more partnering, more impact, more innovation, more support for entrepreneurs and startups, more, 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 more. How is impact defined? Because that's kind of a, that's a key one for us. Yeah, well, um, it's always a key one. Yeah, companies. Okay. And you set up companies and, and be sustainable. Speaking of partnerships, and in our work at Higher Education Strategy Associates, we've been very interested in some of the experiments we've seen in Ireland promoting applied research, and in particular, partnerships between small and medium enterprises and colleges and institutes of technology. What can you tell us about these projects? Are they a success? I vary because they're quite small. I mean, we're talking micro here. Many companies, we're not talking hundreds. We're talking a few, what I might in some cases call kitchen table operations. So we're talking small. And there has been funding for a while, rather, you know, small scale stuff to support universities having students work on projects, you know, business processing and stuff like this. Uh, the big thing about the unified system idea is what role VET plays in this. So in terms of, let's say, advanced engineering and so on. So I've done some work with the JRC, that's a joint research counter for the EU, and looking at smart specialization in VET. And this is really a question of how do sub-degree areas and so on, that whole vocational education and training sector add to and what capacities do they have? So out of the notion that people are stickier than knowledge, how does that work with keeping companies and building sustainability? Lots of ideas. And I mean, there's some evidence of working with it, but has it been a big player? No. And what you've got is this division between the larger universities focused on the big internationals and the FDI companies. And then you've had the IOTs, institutes, so now the TUs, to be focused on the SMEs. 
does it work that well? Can you divide it that way? Many of these companies just don't have the, you know, arguably the absorptive capacity. They don't have the time. So what are the new mechanisms? But that certainly is on the TUs to try and work that out. Yeah. And you can't work it out without some experimentation, right? I mean, I guess this is just sort of a, let's throw some stuff at the wall and see what works. Absolutely. I mean, we're working with one of the local councils to try and develop strategies for one of the universities that might work. But you also need to look at governance arrangements, how you're going to bring it. So it's not just ad hoc and that it's embedded and that the university takes it on, which is another whole set of objectives, if you want to say that. Right. So listen, we're coming to the end here. I got one last question for you. It's one of my favorite trivia questions about higher education. The Irish Republic reserves a number of seats, and I think it's three, in its upper house for universities. So there are university seats in the Senate, and these are filled by special elections of alumni from various institutions. This is pretty idiosyncratic. Does it help universities or does it hurt universities in the sense that they are overtly political actors like that, that they've got seats and therefore, in theory, can hold a balance of power in the upper house? Well, the upper house is a vocationally organized one, aside from 11 appointments by the prime minister of the Taoiseach, and there's six. So it divided down that Trinity had three because, of course, Trinity was out on its own. And the other three went to the National University of Ireland, which is now devolved. Several different institutions, yeah. But in 1979, there was a constitutional referendum saying, what about the rest of our graduates, which passed, and Zilk was done about it. Now, only in the past weeks, yet again, but now quite significantly, a graduate of the University of Limerick, which is not included in this cadre, won a case in the Supreme Court to say that the current situation is unconstitutional. And it's now just feeds into a general discussion as to whether or not the organization for the Senate, as it's called, is appropriate for today. So there are several panels, like the agricultural panel, the industry panel, and this kind of forms up kind of university groups. But uh, yeah, it is kind of unusual. I haven't answered your question whether it puts universities in an awkward spot, but it's interesting. Okay, I'm going to push you. Does it help them or does it hurt them? I can't say it's particularly helped. It's a bit like the House of Lords, if I could use a poor comparison. The Shannon, it's a smaller body, so it's 60 people. It's supposed to bring a more erudite level of discussion with people who know something in particular fields. I expect the, the university members have always made important contributions. Has it helped the universities? Well, it hasn't harmed them. But the fact that they're not representative of the university graduates is a big issue. Ellen, thanks so much for being with us today. You're very welcome. It just remains for me to thank our excellent producers, Tiffany McLennan and Sam Pufick, and you, our listeners, for tuning in. Next week is an off week for the podcast, but join us again on May 4th when my guest will be American higher education futurist Brian Alexander, and he'll be joining us to talk about his new book, Universities on Fire, Higher Education in the Climate Crisis. Bye for now.
The World of Higher Education podcast is a Higher Education Strategy Associates production, produced by Tiffany McLennan and Samantha Pufek, hosted by Alex Usher, music by T-Bless and the Professionals. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.